chapter 25 this morning, 2 Chronicles 25, and that's in your Old Testament. You got 1st and 2nd Corinthians in the New and 1st and 2nd Chronicles in the Old. So we're in 2nd Chronicles and chapter number 25, and we're going to read together uh, several verses this morning, beginning with verse number 5 and ending in verse number 9. The subject of our message this morning is a, a young man made a king in his 20s. Imagine being the president at age 25 uh, or, uh, in your 20s. Uh, his, his father had become a king at age 7. <laughs> and so, uh, but uh, Amaziah is his name. Let's stand together for the reading of the word of God. We're beginning in verse 5. And reading down together, we'll read all in unison, Second Chronicles 25 and verse 5 through verse number 9. And let's join together. Ready? Moreover, Amaziah gathered Judah together and made them captains over thousands and captains over hundreds according to the houses of their fathers throughout all Judah and Benjamin. And he numbered them from 20 years old and above and found them 300,000 choice men able to go forth to war that could handle spear and shield. He hired also an 100,000 mighty men of valor out of Israel for an hundred talents of silver. But there came a man of God to him saying, O king, let not the army of Israel go with thee, for the Lord is not with Israel to wit with all the children of Ephraim. But if thou wilt go, do it. Be strong for the battle. God shall make thee fall before the enemy, for God hath power to help and to cast down. And Amaziah said to the man of God, But what shall we do for the hundred talents which I have given to the army of Israel? And the man of God answered, the Lord is able to give thee much more than this. What a fascinating phrase there at the end of verse number 9. The Lord is able to give thee much more than this. Judah is the southern kingdoms of Israel. Israel proper, sometimes referred to as Ephraim here, is the ten tribes. And before this time, of course, the nation had split. And uh, so the two southern tribes are called the, uh, the nation of Judah, and the ten northern tribes became known as Israel. Israel, uh, the northern tribes are already steeped in idolatry. Uh, and, and, and Judah is trending that way. They're struggling. But the northern kingdom has already gone. It's already been pronounced judgment upon them. And they're steeped in idolatry. And an enemy rises up, and this young man, he's in his 20s again, he's just a young man, and he's, he's, he's going to have to go to battle. He raises an army of 300,000, but he doesn't think that's enough, so he goes to his northern neighbors, Israel, and again, these are all Jewish people, they're all Hebrew from the Hebrew nation, they just had a civil war and split with each other. And he hires 100,000 out of Israel. Now, how many of you understand that if you go to work with somebody, you work side by side with somebody, if you go, if you go fight with somebody, you go battle with somebody, you, you are going to influence 
and be influenced. Is that right? Yeah, I mean, you, you, can't, you can't help it. I mean, you're going, we're all influenced by the people we're around, right? And so God sent one of his servants. He said, you go tell Amaziah. He does not need to unite with Israel. That's not a good plan. It's not a good idea. It's an unequal yoke. They're idol worshipers. No. And so <laughs> Amaziah said, what about all that money I spent? And the man of God said, in the last verse, uh, phrase of verse 9, the Lord is able to give thee much more than this. I want to speak to you on that subject this morning. The Lord is able to give thee much more than this. Heavenly Father, please, through the power of your Holy Spirit, let me help thy people. Here on the very first Sunday of a brand new year, may this be a, 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 a day of decision a day of consecration, a day of dedication for God's people. Learning to trust you when we do right and not worry about how right's going to turn out. Just do right, knowing that you are able to do much more for us than we may perceive to have lost by doing right. Bring us a great conviction, Lord, that right is always worth it. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, and you may be seated. I got a call yesterday or day before that greatly encouraged me. I have a man sitting right here in this auditorium this morning. And he said, Preacher, I just want you to know, I just left the church and I threw some old CDs out. And uh, I went through the dumpster looking for them. There were some good ones in there. And uh, no, I'm kidding. Uh, but I said, I, mean, I said, now, so you're telling me that you had some music that didn't belong in your life and you got rid of it. He said, yes, sir. And he said, I love you. I'm not going to keep you. I just wanted you to know. And man, I hung up that phone call and I said, glory to God. Amen. 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 I remember a guy bringing me a box full. He had vintage vinyl, vintage uh, 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 uh Ozzy Osbourne, um, anyway, that whole crowd, and he had a he had a collection of it, and he brought it to my office right over there, and he set it out, set set it set, set it down. And he said, he said, preacher, best I can tell, this is valued at about three thousand dollars, and actually it wasn't quite that. I got twenty eight hundred off of eBay for it, but no. Uh, <laughs> He said, I know what I need to do with it, and I can't do it. Will you do it for me? I said, I'll be glad to. Amen? I'll be glad to. He said, $3,000. Well, my goodness, that's good money. That could be used for some good. Uh, you, you, you Turn to Acts 19 for just a moment. Turn to Acts 19. When you read about some of the revivals throughout, throughout history and throughout uh, Christendom over the centuries, you'll find that when God got a hold of some people, listen, salvation, listen, salvation is when Jesus Christ saves your soul from the eternal penalty of sin, which is death and hell. Amen? That is salvation. But can I tell you something? After salvation, that's infancy. That's, that's uh, a pacifier Christianity. That's thumb-sucking Christianity. That's a milk-and-bottle Christianity. Thank God for birth. Amen. I like babies. Amen. But I preached last Sunday on the matter on Sunday night. Uh, you, you don't stay cute if you stay a baby. You don't, you, babies don't stay cute forever. Amen. 
If you're 15 and you're still whining, sucking your thumb and, 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 and pitching a fit on the floor because you don't get your way, you're not cute. You're not cute at five that way. Well, somebody say man. Anyway, but Christianity, listen, after you get a, 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 an understanding of what Christ has done for you, He saved our souls. He wiped our record clean in the eyes of God. That's the term justified. Just as if I've never sinned. In the eyes of a holy God because of what Christ did for me on the cross of Calvary. A God, a holy God looks at me and he sees the perfect righteousness of Christ. I'm clothed in his righteousness. That's pictured all the way back there in, in Genesis when Adam and Eve were clothed in those animal skins. And all those Old Testament sacrifices pictured Christ. His blood is sufficient. It's either, listen, it's either sufficient or it's not. And if it's not sufficient, pray tell me what you can add to it. It is absolutely sufficient. And because of that, we're born again or we're washed clean in the, in the eyes of a holy God. Amen. Now listen, if you understand that, that ought to compel something on your heart that we owe a great debt of gratitude to a God who would pay that kind of price for my sins. I mean, Christians whine about what you can and can't do as a Christian. What do you, we ought to be crawling over top of each other trying to figure out what God wants us to do with our lives. After what he did for us? Exactly what is unreasonable that he could request. Romans chapter 12 was 1 and 2. There's nothing unreasonable that he could request. And so you and I ought to be all about figuring out what, what is, what's in my life doesn't please God. It's gone. It's gone. It is gone. Amen. Man, I got so encouraged out of that phone call. Woo! Amen. You know what that is? That's Christian growth. That's somebody that stopped and said, you know what? I don't think this pleases God. And why would I want to offend him after what he's done for me? I think I'll go take this to the church garbage can. By the way, there's some more room in it. Amen? Some of the sweetest things we've ever seen in this church are seasons where God got a hold of our folks, got a hold of me, got a hold of all of us, and got, we got some stuff cleaned out. I remember over there in the old auditorium, it took about eight weeks, way back, uh, oh, I don't know, maybe the second or third year of pastoring, and just talked about how strong of hold that music gets on us, and it's gotten worse and worse. It's just sick. Uh, anyway, anyway, but we talked about that, and we taught on it from a biblical standpoint for about eight weeks, and I challenge our folks, if you've got music in your life that doesn't glorify God, I don't challenge you to get rid of it, and we brought a city garbage can in there. We filled that thing up. We filled a second one up, amen, and we had the best time after church one Wednesday night getting our old CDs and busting them up and tapes. Uh, that's a little plastic thing, and it's got this little ribbon. To go. Anyway, and we just had a good old time. He said, that's a little fanatical, isn't it? You got your Bible open Acts 19 yet? Look at verse number uh, 19, what he said here. And many of them also, which used curious arts, brought their books together and burned them before all men. And they counted the price of them and found it 50,000 pieces of silver. They burned a million dollars worth of stuff. That's revival. Some of you probably got some stuff you need to burn. Like your Harry Potter books. Like your uh, demonic laced uh, uh, games. What's this thing about? What do you call this thing? Uh, it's about, uh, uh, about personalities. It's getting in churches. What's that thing called? It's, it's, a, it's part of that. Enneagram, is that how you say it? Enneagram is satanic. 
You say, I don't know what it is. Good thing. I don't either. <laughs> Somebody introduced it to you and said, my, my, my pastor said this of the devil. He's of the devil. Amen? Listen, that's stuff. Listen, you're, 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 you're uh, 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 somebody said astrology. Yeah. Uh, 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 I'm a bear. I'm a horse. Uh, I'm a toad. No. How many of you saved say amen? First of all, everybody in this room is God's creation. Those of you that are lost, that's where it stops. Everybody in this room is God's creation. But those of us that are born again are also his children. Amen. You be a frog if you want to. I'm a child of God. Amen. Amen. Yeah. That's satanic. He said, what to do with it? Uh, there's a pretty good pattern right there. Chapter 19, verse 19. Yeah. Burn it. Burn it. Amen? Yeah, but I paid what? A million dollars for it? Huh? Let me tell you something. You, you, you have a God. Let me tell you what the man of God said. He said, the Lord is able to give thee much more than this. Amen? The Lord is able to give. Whatever we think we give up for the Lord, He is able to give us much more than this. Amen? Take your Bibles and turn over to the Gospel of Luke. Turn over to the Gospel of Luke for just a moment. And look at chapter number 18. The Gospel of Luke, chapter number 18. Verse number, uh, verse number 18. Luke 18, 18. And a certain ruler asked him, saying, Good master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? What shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said unto him, Why callest thou me good? Now stop for here just a minute. Here's this man. He's a ruler. He's a politician, if you will. Uh, he's, uh, he's a political ruler, uh, and he has some power in an office. And uh, he comes to Christ. He's a good master. Now, that was a term of respect. That'd be like saying professor, if you will. Uh, 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 we, we, we know you're a good man, just like Nicodemus did in John chapter 3, preached last week. Uh, we know you're a good man. You come from God. But he does not recognize him as who he is, the Son of God, the very Son of God. So he, so he doesn't believe in him as a savior. So he comes to him with this term of respect and he says, uh, you know, I'd like to have eternal life. You know, what can I do? And this is a man of means, a man who's used to getting what he wants by his, by, by his own efforts. And he says, uh, what, what, you know, what can I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus uh, says unto him, why callest thou me good? None is good save one, that is God. He calls him out. So why are you calling me good? I'm just a man, right? In your eyes. There's only one good person. That's God. By the way, uh, if, if, you don't, if you feel otherwise, then you've been tainted by false religion. Romans chapter 5, verse 12 said, There is none that doeth good, no, not one. That's what God said. Verse 20. This is Jesus speaking to the man. Thou knowest the commandments. You know what to do. Do not commit adultery. Do not kill. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. All thy father. He said, you know about that. Don't, you know, don't, don't, uh, don't commit adultery. Don't kill. Don't steal. You know, respect your mom and dad. And he said, verse 21, and this, Jesus has exposed the condition of his heart because he said, all these have I kept from my youth. I've been doing that my whole life. Now when Jesus heard these things, he said to him, oh yeah, one more thing. Yet lackest thou one thing. Sell all that thou hast and distribute unto the poor and thou shalt have treasure in heaven. 
and come follow me. Now, look at it. Jesus wasn't given a different plan of salvation. He was exposing the condition of that man's heart to himself. He said, oh yeah, I forgot one thing. Sell everything you've got, give it to the poor, and you can follow me. And the Bible said when he heard this, he was very sorrowful, for he was very rich. And when Jesus saw that he was very sorrowful, he said, How hardly shall they that have riches enter into the kingdom of God? For it is easier for a camel to go through a needle's eye than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And they that heard it said, Who then can be saved? He said, The things which are impossible with men are possible with God. Listen, what the Lord said is this. Why is this true? What Jesus just pointed out. Here's a man of means. The Bible said he was very rich. And he wants to have eternal life. Who, who doesn't want to have eternal life? And he comes to Jesus not believing uh, his, uh, who he is as the Christ, but believing him to be a good man and a good teacher. And he said, what do I have to do? And Jesus said, you know what to do. Just go ahead. And don't, don't commit adultery. Don't kill. Don't steal, so forth like that. He said, oh, I've been doing that my whole life. I'm all set. <laughs> He said, oh yeah, I forgot one thing. Sell everything you've got and give it to the poor. He said, what? Now Jesus wasn't saying if you do that, you're going to get to heaven. What he was saying is he's exposing the man's heart to himself. And the Bible said the man went away very sorrowful because he was very rich. He said, you know, I want eternal life, but not, not that much. I'm not about to turn loose of my wealth for that. And then Jesus said, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples said, good night, who could be saved then? And the Lord says, the things which are impossible with men are possible with God. Amen. A man that, listen, it, it, it is easier for us to die and go to hell with, the, with, the, with the, uh, uh, the economic standard by which you and I live because the truth is we don't have a lot of needs compared to much of the rest of the world. But some folks in the world just spend their day trying to figure out what they're going to eat today. You and I are so blessed. And the sad thing is the more we have, the less human nature, the less we think we need anybody or anything uh, or, or even God himself. And the Bible said the way to be saved is become desperate. I'm helpless. i got to have a Savior. That's how you get saved. And a man who's used to fixing all of his problems because he's got enough money to do it has a hard time humbling himself and saying, I'm lost. I'm desperate. I need a Savior. Why? He's used to trusting his riches. Now look at verse number 28. Then Peter said, Lo, we have left all. And followed thee, verse number 28. Peter said, Lord, he said, you know, <laughs> you told that man to get rid of everything and give it away and follow you. He said, you know, we left everything. And it's true. Peter was on his fishing boat. Jesus came along. He said, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And they dropped everything. He and his brother, two others in the same fishing business, they dropped everything and they were all in with Jesus Christ. And here's what I want you to say, verse 29. And he said unto them, Verily, which means truly, I say unto you, There is no man that hath left house, or parents, or brethren, or wife, or children, for the kingdom of God's sake, who shall not receive manifold more in this present time. And in the world to come, life everlasting. Here's what he's saying. Same thing the, old, the man of God said over the Old Testament. He said, listen, whatever you give up, 
if because of your consecration to Christ, a family member walks away and says, I don't want that kind of life. A loved one, maybe even a spouse, a son, a daughter, a mother, a father. If you give up lands, if you give up houses, if you give up a business ventures, he said, let me tell you something. If you do that for Jesus Christ, he is able to give you much more than you could ever give up for him. That's not just that's not just eternal rewards. Those are the valuable ones. But that includes temporal rewards, the Bible said. Whatever you and I lose because we decide to do the right thing, the Lord is able to give thee much more than this. I think about videos uh, uh, coming from Thailand of these homes that are turning away from their idol worship. Buddhists and others turn away from their idol worship and saying, I want to live consecrated to Jesus Christ. And most of those homes have idols. I think, was that right, Brother Matt? Have idols in their yards, in their homes. And you talk about a great step. People receive Christ by faith. And as they begin to grow, they realize that my, my faith in Christ is not compatible with these statues. And to go in there and take those statues and bust them in a million pieces, that's victory. Amen. I'll tell you something. Jesus Christ deserves that. Amen. Maybe the idols you and I have in our houses or in our homes or in our lives are not made of uh, mortar or wood or carved out or uh, laden in gold. But we have things that, that come before him. He said, what am I going to do? If I had to give that up, well, I need that. I mean, I don't. I need that. And listen, whatever you give up for Him, He's able to give you much more back. He's able to give thee much more than this. Let's think about friends for a moment. If compromise in your life as a Christian, if compromise is required. For you to keep a friend. You will wind up with neither your integrity nor a friend. Because the Bible said a friend loveth at all times. A friend is not a true friend. If he or she asks you to compromise your principles and convictions. What you know to be true from this book right here. is My friends will ostracize me. My friends will make fun of me. They mocked the Lord Jesus Christ. They hung him in naked shame in front, of, in front of the world and ripped his body to shreds and mocked him and spat in his face. And he took that kind of humiliation for you and I. You and I ought to be able to take a little, a little dig here and there. A little something. Well, you can't be a part of our party. Well, thank you. I don't want to be a part of that party. My pastor, Brother House, was 19 years old. Maybe 20 by that time. Way back in, his, in the war zone, of course, and... He was working for the uh, National Battery Company. He had to get permission to trade jobs because of the war effort, but he got permission and went to the Dallas Railway Company they, because he was a pitcher. He was a fast, uh, 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 fast pitch softball pitcher and very good. I saw him in his 70s pitch a softball. And uh, anyway, and the Dallas Railway Company had a good team, but they needed a pitcher, and so he went to the Dallas Railroad Company, worked there, and was on their team, and they were in the championship game, and it was scheduled on Sunday night. And that young man who, who had gotten saved, an 11-year-old boy, and surrendered his life to preach, and um, his dad was a drunk and walked out on him when he was five years old, but his mom's a godly lady. He told his coach, who was a deacon in the church, 
He said, I, you know, I, I don't, I'm going to be in church. You know that, right? He said, oh, come on, Jack. It ain't going to hurt nothing. It's just a game. One game, you know. He said, no. He said, I got to be in church. He said, we don't have another pitcher. You know that, right? He goes, yeah, but I, I'm going to be in church. I, 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 you know I believe that. And I think you believe that too, but. He said, look, it's just one game. It's a championship game. And come on. He said, I'm going to be in church. When, when that Sunday came, the team was lined up on the street. You can read it in his biography. The team was lined up on the street. They cursed and swore at him as he walked up the st- steps of the church to go inside. One of those men took a softball and threw it at the door. Bam, hit the door. As it closed behind us, it went inside. Can I tell you something, my dear friend? If you have to compromise to keep a friend, if you have to compromise your conviction to keep a friend, you need to assess your friendships. Whatever you think you're giving up, Jesus Christ is able to give you much more. Amen. His own sister, Earlene Stevens, she, her husband had abandoned her. And she, she uh, was, uh, lived alone and he, he, she said to her brother, she said, come on, man. She said, it, it won't hurt you to miss one service. He said, sis, it wouldn't hurt you, but it would hurt me. That statement kept her awake for several nights and God, the Holy Spirit, got a hold of her. She said, why does that bother him and it doesn't bother me? She got her conviction. She came, she came and she got born again. <laughs> she told her brother, she said, you made me so miserable. I got her some conviction. The Lord showed me I need to be saved. She said, I'm saved now. Amen. Amen. The Lord is able to give thee much more than this. How about opportunities? I remember my dad, the first church he pastors in, was in... Uh, 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 New Hampshire, Kingston, New Hampshire. And he's, he's in his 20s, early, mid-20s. And um, uh, he pastored lobster fishermen, had a lobster fisherman in his church. And it's time to catch lobsters, you catch lobsters. And he's talking about how you need to be faithful to the house of God. You need to, you need to be faithful to give. You need to be faithful to church. And, and if you can be in church, you ought to be in church. And he walked up to that young man, this old, fish, this old fisherman, been fishing for years. Walked up to that young man in his 20s and said, you telling me when all my competitors are out there seven days a week catching lobster, it's time to catch lobster, and you tell telling me I'm supposed to be in here? He said, well, just must tell you what I believe the Bible teaches. He said, well, it's all right. I don't like it, but I'm going to do it. And that lobsterman said, I'm going to be in church on Sunday. I'll catch lobster six days a week. And you know what the buzz around that village was after a few weeks? How is so-and-so catching more lobsters in six days than all the rest of us can catch in seven days? The Lord is able to give thee much more than this. I think about Billy Sunday, played professional baseball, became one of the greatest evangelists that ever preached across this country. Saw over a million souls saving her just preaching. Billy Sunday was sitting on a street corner on State Street and uh, in, in Chicago. And he and his buddies had been drinking, as was their habit. And some folks from the, uh, from the Pacific Garden Rescue Mission came. And they had a few instruments. And they were singing across the street. And Billy Sunday, sitting on that curb, heard some songs. He used to hear as a boy when his mama took him to church as a little boy. And the Holy Ghost started stirring something inside of his heart. Billy Sunday stood up and he said, boys, he said, something's happening in me. 
He said, I've got to make a change. He started walking across the street. Those folks came and met him in the street and told him who they were. He said, why don't you go with us down to the Pacific Garden Mission and Billy Sunday, Billy Sunday, professional baseball player, went to the Pacific Garden Mission, heard the gospel of Jesus Christ, got born again that night. He gave up his baseball. Eventually, he gave up his baseball career. They, Billy Sunday was offered a million dollars to do a movie, to be in movies. That would be worth 30, 40 some million dollars today. He said, I can't do that. God's called me to preach. I'm a Christian. I can't be in movies. i got to serve the Lord. Amen. Amen. Billy Sunday is one of the greatly, most greatly used evangelists this world has ever seen. And I tell you, dear friend, the Lord is able to give thee, give thee much more than this. Whatever you and I think, a family member, a loved one, a home, a, 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 a whatever it is, an opportunity, friends, whatever you and I say. I'm not, I'm not talking about being belligerent. I'm not talking about being acting like you're better than someone else. But I'm talking about what consecration to Jesus Christ requires. I'm sorry. I belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. I can't do that. I can't participate in that. Uh, you do what you're going to do, but I can't do that. And you say, but, I, but I'll lose something. I'll lose an opportunity. I'll lose a friend. Listen, he is able to give thee much more than this. Amen. Read about a little fellow who wouldn't compromise on this. It goes back many, day, many years ago. Wouldn't compromise. He said, I, I, don't, I, I don't do Sabbath work. I've got to be, be, be in God's house on the Lord's day. And it came to crunch time and production time. And his boss said, you're going to be here. You're going to lose your job. He said, you know, I try to be a good employee. He said, but you know, this is what is my conviction in my heart. I can't, do, I can't do it. He finished out that day and he was fired. The next week, his boss was sitting with some other businessmen at a meal. And one of them uh, uh, said, I need somebody to handle money. I said, it's the hardest thing in the world to find somebody to just be honest and do the right thing. And that man said, well, I just fired a guy. I believe he'd fit what you need. Gave him his number. Man called him up. Got a better job, better pay, better position. Why? Because God is able to give thee more than this. Amen. I think about what Dr. Williams has told me. I think he said it from the pulpit. I don't know, but he's told, said it to me a couple of times. His pastor, Ed Nelson, out in, uh, in uh, Colorado, they were, they were in a program, a building program of some kind. They needed it. They needed a large, a large ministry of thousands of folks and large ministry. Many Christian servants went out from that work there in years gone by there in Colorado, in Denver, Colorado. And uh, Dr. Williams was a member of that church at the time. It was evangelism, but he was a member of the church there. And a lady, a widow lady, called up and said, Pastor, come to my house. And went to the lady's house, and she had several accounts. And she, I think it was four accounts, if I remember correctly. She laid the checkbooks out the account. She said, tell me how much to write. I want to take care of this need. And Dr. Ed Nelson said, ma'am, I appreciate that. But I've got to pastor your children when you're gone to heaven. And I can't accept it. Now, if you happen to have a lot of money, I could care less about your kids. Uh, <laughs> wow. You would call that, you call that conviction. You call that a man of integrity. You call that a man who cares more about his sheep than he does a goal. God is able to give you much more than this. 
How about your reputation? Think about your reputation for just a moment. Did you ever stop and think about this? David would not fight God's anointed King Saul. David, Saul was old enough to be David's grandfather. Jonathan was old enough to be his father. We think about David and Jonathan and God knit the soul of Jonathan to David. The Bible says when he first met him as probably 18 year old, 17, 18 year old kid who just killed Goliath the giant. And, he, and, and, and David came before the king and tell the story, you know, and he's got glass head. And the Bible said Jonathan, who was the heir apparent, he, he should have been on the throne. Rightfully, the throne was his and God touched his heart and he loved David. And he said, there's something special about that young man. God's hand is on him. He said, I see it. I recognize it. That's the man that ought to be king. And he knew it in his soul. And God knit his heart. After David came back, the, the, the women started singing. Made a little song. Saul hath slain his thousands, but David is tens of thousands. Here's this teenage boy. And he gets a song written about him, and, and kudos to uh, the king, but double kudos to David. And King Saul heard that song. You know what? He got bit by the green-eyed monster of envy. He became jealous, insanely jealous of David to the point he literally tried to kill David. Now Saul was an experienced warrior. God's divine hand of protection was on David. At point blank range is what we'd say it. As the way we'd say it today, Saul threw a, a javelin, a spear at David and missed. That was God. That was divine intervention. I can promise you that. Saul wasn't a man. He didn't miss. But he became so envious that several occasions tried to take David's life, hunted him down like you hunt a wild animal. And twice David was standing right over Saul in a dead sleep and had the opportunity to avenge himself. And his own men, trusted men, said, David, this is your opportunity. God's giving you this opportunity. He promised you victory over your enemies. You wanted to listen. This is your chance. And David said, I cannot touch the Lord's anointed. David would not fight God's anointed. I wonder how many people thought, well, David must be guilty. The rumors about him must be true. Why else would he run? I'll tell you why. Because he's a principled man. David would not fight his own son who tried to usurp the throne. Did it ever dawn on you that liars, critics, scorners, accusers of the brethren... Do not care about honesty. Do not care about justice. Do not care about integrity. You say, well, if I don't, if I don't fight back, if I, don't, if I don't return evil for evil, they're going to ruin my reputation. The Lord is able to give thee much more than this. How about your rights? Paul wrote to the Corinthians church. He said, why are you taking each other to court? Why would you not rather suffer? The word suffer means allow. Why would you not rather allow yourself to be defrauded? Why would you drag the name of Christ through the mud by two believers going and standing in front of an unjust, uh, excuse me, an unsaved judge and you squabbling with each other? You're supposed to represent Christ and you drag each other to court. Galatians 6 records this. He said, what is wrong with you? Why don't you just suffer? Why don't you just be defrauded instead of maligning my name and dragging Christianity through the mud 
How many people don't want anything to do with local churches? Nothing to do with the things of God because they see the way Christians treat each other. They see the way churches get along with each other, don't get along with each other. Hey, listen, you say, well, my reputation's on the stake and people gonna think bad of me and the Lord is able to give thee much more than this. You just keep doing right. You just keep being faithful. You just keep on honoring Christ. You just keep the right kind of spirit. Amen. Let God be your lawyer. Amen. I love that little story that uh, Otto Koning tells. He went to the jungles to reach natives for Christ and he planted an acre of pineapples. He always wanted pineapples. Loved pineapples. And just about the time those pineapples got ripe, they came in and stole all of his pineapple crop. And he was furious. He was mad as a hornet. So he tried it again the next year. He did everything he could, fences, whatever he could, to try to keep people out from getting his pineapples. And every year, just about the time they came in, I mean, he was mouthed with water for those pineapples. And just about that time, here they come, steal his pineapples. And he was furious. He got bent out of shape. He wouldn't have any results. He's trying to preach. He couldn't preach. He's mad as a hornet, bitter. And God smote his heart. He said, whose pineapples are those? He said, those are mine. He said, uh-huh, really? Didn't we just read this morning, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness of the, thereof? And the Lord convicted him. He said, those are not your pineapples. Those are my pineapples. He said, Lord, forgive me. I'm getting bitter. And he gave his pineapples to the Lord. So he planted pineapples next year. Here they come, stealing his pineapples. He said, I'd be careful if I were y'all. So what do you mean? He said, you better be careful. So we've taken your pineapples. They're not, they're not my pineapples. What do you mean they're not your pineapples? No, they're God's pineapples. They said, whose? They're God's pineapples. His whole spirit changed. And... You know, what the, you know what the native said? The missionary has become a Christian. <laughs> Guess what? Then they wanted to become a Christian. And he was able to win many of them to Christ. The Lord is able to give you much more than this. I was, on, I was in a car. And uh, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's something called something else now. But Larry Burkett is with the Lord. But he, he would uh, teach on finances. And... Um, he told a little story. I forget the story, but two men, two Christian men, went into business together, and they started business successful. One was in the shop doing the labor, getting his knuckles busted every day, and hand greasing and so forth like that, and keeping the things running. The other went, promoted the business and made the sales call and followed up with customers and so forth like that. It was a good partnership until the guy with the busted knuckles got tired of doing all the work by himself. And they talk about it. He said, man, I can come in there and I can help you, but somebody's got to keep this thing going. And this, we started this way. And they, they couldn't come to an agreement. And one day, the man with the busted knuckles went and changed all the locks. The fellow came in to work one day, and the locks were changed. He basically said, you, you know, and, and sort of confiscated the business, so to speak. And he started thinking, what am I going to do about this? He thought about the Word of God, got a little counsel. He said, Lord, I can't take my brother to court. I'm not going to. And he walked away from it. Suffered the loss. Allowed himself to be defrauded. Seven years later, that business continued to thrive. Seven years later, the former partner that stayed with the business put it up for sale and a buyer came along. 
And the buyer in, in the sale, he said, uh, I want to know the history. And he found out there was a former partner. And he said, what, what happened to the former partner? And the potential buyer contacted the former partner. He said, what happened to your partnership? He told him what had happened. The buyer came back. He said, I'm going to buy this. He said, here's my conditions. Condition number one, half of the selling price goes to the former partner. Number two, half of all your sales proceeds for the last seven years goes to the partner, and I'll buy your business. God is able to give thee much more than this. What do you think you're giving up? Friends, opportunities, reputation, personal rights, land, houses. The Lord is able to give thee much more than this. I don't know what you're holding on to that keeps you from being consecrated to Christ. But whatever it is, listen to me carefully, wouldn't you much rather lay up some treasure on the other side than to hold on to whatever it is you're holding on to here? The Bible says lay up treasures in heaven. My dad's dad, biological father, died when Grandpa Shook was three or four. My godly grandmother uh, was married to Paul Shook, and Paul was a drinker. He was a drunkard. But God got a hold of his heart at a tent revival, he came, and I asked her about this, she told me this story. He came, and he walked out, and he received Christ, and he put the booze away, and for six months, he took his family to church, and took my dad and his uh, older sisters, his three older sisters to church, and was faithful, and six months later, he said, I can't live without the booze, and he went back to it. Not long after, Paul shook my biological grandfather, which of course I never knew, not long after he backslid on the Lord and went back to his booze, he died. He had a head-on collision with a beer truck. And God took him. Now my grandmother believes in this is what I believe. And that testimony is true and he received Christ as Savior. There's only one salvation, friend. There's, there's, please, please understand this, okay? There's only one kind of salvation. It's the kind that was paid for by Jesus' precious blood. Amen. And what he bought for you was everlasting life. Now, if it doesn't last forever, it's not everlasting. So whatever kind of salvation you got in your head, and it doesn't last forever, it's not what Jesus paid for. Because what Jesus paid for with his own precious blood was everlasting life. There's scores of verses to support that. But there is something the Bible says, Hebrews chapter 12 says, if you're a child of God, you will be chastised. And if you don't respond to that chastisement, the Bible says there's a sin unto death. The Bible says you want to live a long time, you honor your father and mother. Listen, listen to me. There is no doubt in my mind, I know it to be true, it's biblical that sometimes lives are cut short because a Christian's rebellion against his God. My grandmother believed that her husband Paul, my dad's dad, was taken to heaven early because what he wanted to hang on to here on earth. Now, friends, listen. I don't know about you, 
but I'm going to be here. If you, if you draw a line, in your mind's eye, draw a line. Get your pen and draw it and draw it and draw it and draw it until you can't see it any, any, fur, any further. And then go another million miles beyond that. And then get you that same pen and draw a line this way. And draw it till you can't see it and go another million miles that way. If that's eternity past and that's eternity future, my life is with a little touch of the head of that pen. My life, a vapor. And what I do in that, that one little tick of the pen determines what I will enjoy for all of eternity. Now, exactly what are you hanging on to that's keeping you from being all in? I'm not talking about saved right now. I'm talking to saved people. I'm talking about being consecrated, being all in for Jesus Christ. Lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where neither moss nor rust doth corrupt and where thieves don't break through and steal. Listen, there's, a, there's an eternal aspect to our Christian life. What we do is laid up over yonder. Amen. They're crowns to, re, to receive. And we get to take those and lay them at the feet of Christ to express our love and our gratitude. You say, well, I, but yeah, but, 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 but you don't understand much. Well, I, I, I'll lose an opportunity. I'll lose a friend. I might lose my reputation. Listen, he is able to give thee much more than this. What you give up for him, he gives it back. Amen. That verse over in the Gospel of Luke he said, you will receive manifold more in this present time and in the world to come. Listen, if I ever lost a friend because I want to live for God, God has given me manifold more true friends in return. Let's bow our heads together.